to the first chapter of Acts. The first chapter of Acts. We're going to uh, be focusing on the first 11 verses and then looking at other passages this morning from God's Word. So you'll want to uh, keep your Bibles out this morning uh, and, and then keep your thumb here in Acts chapter 1. Acts uh, 1, uh, 1 through 11 is the, the most complete record in the Scriptures of Jesus' ascension, the event of Jesus' ascension. So we're going to read that this morning. This is God's holy Word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And we're going to end the reading of God's Word here this morning. Well, as I said, uh, we're gathering this morning uh, in worship uh, to focus our attention uh, on one particular uh, moment or event uh, in the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, it's, it's an event in Jesus' ministry that is uh, largely neglected, uh, mainly overlooked in the modern church. Uh, Forty days after Jesus rose victoriously from the dead, something remarkable also took place. Our Lord Jesus Christ was, was lifted up from earth and seated in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Lord Jesus ascended to the Father from earth. He left earth to go to be with His heavenly Father in the flesh. And as I said, most modern Christians today tend to view the ascension of Jesus as sort of a, a peripheral event in His ministry. Maybe it has some practical value in that Jesus needed to get from earth to heaven to His Father somehow, but it's largely regarded as an unnecessary, unimportant event in Jesus' ministry. Our friend Michael Horton notes that we usually treat the ascension as little more than a dazzling exclamation point for the resurrection, rather than as a new event in its own right. And that's a, a, an accurate observation. But it's important for us to recognize that while it may be true in the church today that the ascension is downplayed 
That has not been the case historically in Christ's church. In fact, for most of the life of the church, the ascension has been treasured. It's been emphasized as a necessary part of our redemption, an essential step in Jesus' exaltation. And we see the the value of the ascension, the importance of the ascension reflected in our creeds and our confessions. We recite every Sunday evening either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and, and those creeds emphasize the importance of the ascension as much as Christ's resurrection from the dead. It's an historical event that is essential for the drama of redemption. Our Heidelberg Catechism devotes no less than four questions and answers to the doctrine of the ascension. In comparison, it only gives one question and answer to the resurrection. Lord's Day 18, which I'm going to read later, beautifully explains how Christ's ascension benefits us as believers. And that's what I want to focus on this morning with you. I want to focus on four aspects of Jesus' ascension, His exaltation into heaven, so that we will grasp not only the importance of this event, the power of this event, but also that we'll come to understand and embrace the amazing blessings that come from Christ's glorious ascensions, blessings for our salvation, blessings for our Christian life. And we're going to take our cue, as I said, from Acts chapter 1, but we're going to use this account as sort of a, a jumping point uh, to look at other portions of Scripture that help us understand and see that Jesus' ascension, uh, far from an unimportant event, was part of biblical expectation. It's an event that grounds our future hope as believers. The first blessing of the ascension we notice here is that in it, Jesus continues His ministry in and through us. We are tempted, aren't we, to think of Jesus' ascension as the end of His earthly ministry. Uh, Jesus, in, in His body, left earth and went into heaven. He's no longer here. That must be the end of Jesus' work on earth. But notice how Dr. Luke begins the book of Acts here in the first couple verses. He says in the first book, O Theophilus, a friend of his, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Luke says to his friend Theophilus, he says, in my first volume, my first book, the Gospel of Luke, I was talking about what Jesus began to do. The first half of his ministry, so to speak, the first part of it. And so the key word here is began. Luke says, my gospel account was just the beginning. Now I'm writing the sequel volume. I'm writing to you about all that Jesus uh, is continuing to do by his Holy Spirit through his chosen apostles and preachers and rulers in the church. Jesus' ascension doesn't signal the end of His work, the the completion of His his ministry. It signals the continuation, the exciting new chapter uh, of Jesus' work as the Savior who's, who's reconciling sinners to Himself. 
Jesus is continuing His work from heaven through His people by the operation of the Holy Spirit just as He promised He would do when He was still on earth. You think back to John 14. John, in John 14, Jesus was beginning to tell His disciples that He was going to die. He was going to suffer and die on the cross. But before He did that, He promised that He would be going to prepare a place for His disciples. And He says to them, I will give you a helper. He said in John 14, 16 and following, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus promises the help, the assistance, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then He says this to them to comfort their aching hearts. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I imagine that Jesus' disciples must have wondered, well, which is it, Jesus? You've just told us that you're leaving to go and prepare a place for us. Now you are saying, I will come to you. Which is it? Are you going or are you coming? And Jesus' answer is yes. I'm going away. I will be going to my Father in heaven. But my Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ... I'm giving to live in each and every one of you so that I am not absent from you for even a moment. By His Spirit, Jesus is not absent from us for a single second, even though His body is in heaven. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, lives and thrives and works in our hearts daily to assure us that we are children of God, assuring us that all the promises of Jesus that He declared and that are contained in His Word are true. We read that wonderful promise in Romans 8, 16 to 17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. And it was that glorious message that was the fire that kindled the apostles' ministry, that is, Jesus' ministry through the apostles. After His resurrection, Jesus told His disciples in Luke 24, He said, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out, and in order to do that, I'm sending upon you the promise of My Father. He said, stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And we know when that took place. That took place on Pentecost morning when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. They began to talk in the languages of the nations that were gathered there in Jerusalem. And at that time, when when Jesus fulfilled that promise to send His Holy Spirit, Peter gave a sermon to the crowd, and he explained something about Jesus' ascension. He said that Jesus' ascension was just the next step in His ministry on earth by the Holy Spirit. You read in Acts 2, being therefore exalted, Peter says, at the right hand of God, that's His ascension, having been received from the Father at the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this on you that you are seeing and hearing today. And that special outpouring of the Spirit so that the apostles continued the work of ministry in the church was a fulfillment of biblical expectation that God had promised through 
the prophet Joel, that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And we read that until Christ returns again, Jesus is still speaking. He's still working in the world, in the church, by the Spirit of truth through the the preaching of the gospel, which He uses to convict the world of sin and, and righteousness and judgment. And so, unique blessing of the ascension is that Christ gave special gifts. He gave gifted leaders and teachers and pastors and rulers to the church to build up the church in unity and maturity. We read this uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, 7 and following. We read, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, Christ uh, is or Paul here is quoting Psalm 68, that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. You see, we share in Christ's heavenly triumph His ascension as the Spirit uses the enduring Word of God, preached here every Sunday, to transform our lives so that our lives reflect our King and His kingdom. The ascension of the Lord assures us that He's not absent from us for even a moment. His work in His church, His work on earth is not done. He is always present. He is always working by His grace, by His Spirit, and by His Word. Another benefit of the ascension is that Jesus uh, ascended to rule over all powers in every age. Jesus' ascension was His return to the Father after accomplishing our redemption through humbling Himself on the cross. And upon arriving home, as it were, There, Jesus in the courts of heaven is coronated. He's coronated. He is crowned as the true king of the world. We we confess that in our Apostles' Creed, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He sits in a position of all rule and authority. That's why Stephen the martyr in Acts 7, uh, as he was being killed, declared that he saw the Son of Man sitting or even also standing at the right hand of God, a glorious fulfillment of the, of the prophecy of Daniel in chapter 7, in which we see the Son of Man who is given an everlasting dominion, all the kingdoms of the earth. And so, the ascension teaches us that, that Jesus' kingdom, His sovereign rule, His reign cannot be destroyed. It will never pass away. In Revelation 3.21, we're given the vision of Jesus as the great conqueror who sits down with His Father on His throne where He is praised forever and ever. And we read in 1 Corinthians 15.25, there in that position of authority, He must reign until He has put all of His enemies under His feet. The ascension establishes Jesus as the reigning King over all powers in every age. Paul says in in, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, that 
that God uh, raised Jesus from the dead by His great power and and then seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. He has put all things under His feet, Paul says, and gave Him His head over all things to the church. We see then that that God's kingdom has been inaugurated through the ascension, the enthronement of Jesus, who even now sits on that throne and will one day come again to complete or consummate His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven when He returns as king and as judge. And the reality that Jesus has ascended to take up His position of kingship over all powers, that's comforting to us. That's not just a doctrine. It's a doctrine that gives us comfort. We may wonder sometimes how Christ's promise in Matthew 28 to be with us always, even to the very end of the age, how that can be squared with His ascension. He's left the earth. Doesn't that mean that He's not really here with us? He's not really present? Doesn't it at least mean that He's less present with us now than He was when He walked the the dusty roads of Palestine? And in fact, John Calvin helps us understand that though Christ is physically, bodily in heaven, by ascending to the right hand of God, He now rules all things with a power even more present than before. Listen to what He says. He says, thus being received into heaven, Jesus, yes, removed His bodily presence from our sight. He's no longer here on earth. But He did that not to leave us as believers without a helper or without His power. He left in order to rule the world with a power even more present than before. Certainly, His promise to be with us to the end of the age has been fulfilled by His ascension. For as by it His body was lifted up above the heavens, so its power, its effectiveness reach beyond all the bounds of heaven and earth. Christ's ascension is the fulfillment of His promise to be with us always to the very end of the age. But there's even more here than that. Not only has Jesus been raised and seated in a position of kingly authority and power over every other power, the Scripture says that we are seated with Him there as well. Consider Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 7, we read there that that when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive by grace through faith. And then we read this, God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul says that as Christians, we don't just join in uh, the death of Christ. We, don't, we are not just united with Jesus in His resurrection. We don't just share in His resurrection life. We also share in His ascension by faith. We share in His exaltation, His victory over every evil power that stands against us and against Christ and His church. 
It's because of His ascension that we can stand against Satan's schemes and put on the armor of God to do battle with Satan and his minions. It's our ascended Lord and and His power that makes it possible for us to be strong in His might and to successfully stand firm against all the spiritual forces in this wicked day. Because we reign with Him by faith, we have truly overcome the world. We find another blessing of Jesus' ascension in that He is our advocate, our helper, and our high priest. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And and, and we know that Jesus was our mediator throughout all of His ministry. But when we think about Jesus' work uh, as a mediator, we think of His death, we think of His resurrection. Uh, through those events, he, he was our mediator to secure the forgiveness of our sins, to justify us, to reconcile us with God, to make us right with Him. But let's not overlook the fact that as part of Jesus' ministry of reconciliation, He ascended into heaven in order to intercede for us continually as a mediator, as our true high priest, as our advocate, as our helper. Hebrews 9 tells us that it's in the ascension in particular that we learn that Jesus passed through the heavens, through that heavenly temple, in order to present to the Father all of His completed saving work. We know that Jesus was not like the priests of the Old Testament. He did not have to offer sacrifices for His own sin. He offered Himself his own body, as the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. And it's in the ascension, in passing through the heavens, that, that, that Jesus presents to God His finished work, and then He takes up His priestly work on our behalf. There He always lives to make intercession for us on the basis of what He has accomplished as our Savior. And after the ascension, we notice, Jesus' interceding presence, His help is limitless. It's not limited by space. It's not limited by time. Jesus can care for us without any limitations at all. Oh, how I wish I could care for my family without any limitations. I would love to spend every single moment with my wife and child and not miss a single moment of her growth. But I have to go to the office and I have to make some visits and have to go to the, run to the grocery store. We're all limited by time and space, but by the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence of the incarnated Christ is available to all of us with no limitations of time and space. He's available to all of us all the time. And that comforts us. That's a blessing for us because we can be assured that He hears our prayers and He responds to our prayers. He sympathizes with our weaknesses and our struggles. He knows the difficulties we face. He promises to do for us whatever we ask of Him in faith. 
And so with such an advocate, such a high priest, interceding for us, limited without any limits in heaven, we embrace the encouraging call of Hebrews 4, 14-16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, against, again, ascension language, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let's not let go of our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The blessing the comfort, the assurance that is ours as believers because of the ascension of Jesus. Well, finally, the final blessing of the ascension, the ascension of Jesus allows us as believers to keep crying out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Back in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended, His his disciples were, were left standing there staring up uh, into the heavens, probably wondering, okay, now what? What's next? And so Jesus sends two ministering angels to encourage them, to direct them. We read in verses 10 and 11, and while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And He said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Jesus ministers to His disciples, and He says, go forward. Fulfill the calling that I've given to you. Take up your work in the hope that Jesus will return again and finish His work of judgment and salvation on the earth. We recognize there is a sense in which Jesus' reign and His work is is already. We've experienced many of the victories of Christ and His Word, but there's a not yet aspect to it as well. There's more to come. Jesus will return the same way He left, and He will establish His kingdom in fullness. He will put all of His enemies and ours under our feet, and with that hope, with that promise, We can live out our lives with the cry, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We live our lives with longing, with prayerful hastening of our returning King who will come to triumph over evil, who will come and cause light to overcome darkness, who will come and wipe every tear from our eyes. You see then that the ascension was far more than an exclamation point on the resurrection. The ascension is far more than just a parenthetical note on Jesus' ministry. The ascension is an essential aspect of our salvation, for it provides us with comfort and assurance and power and divine presence spiritual gifts, and hope as we fulfill Christ's calling to live for Him. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the glorious ascension
of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give thanks that because He has gone up and is now in heaven for us, that we do not need to fear as we live in this world. It is true that our earthly life is sometimes filled with trouble and misery. And yet, in the midst of these temporary trials, your ascension assures us that we do not need to be astonished or preoccupied with our circumstances. We can look in faith to our prophet and priest and king who is already in heaven, and we can confess, although I am weak, there is in heaven for me Jesus Christ who is powerful enough to make me stand. Although I am feeble, there in heaven for me is Jesus Christ, who is my strength. We can confess, O Lord, although there is misery in my life, Jesus Christ dwells in immortal glory, and what He has will someday soon be given to me, and I will partake in all of His benefits. This world is filled with devils, to be sure. But what of it? Jesus Christ rules above. He has entire control of the battle. And we need not doubt that He gives us the victory. We can confess, O Lord, that our life here is subject to many changes which may cause us to lose courage. But what of it? The Son of God is our head in whom there is no shadow due to change. And so, Lord, with these truths then, let us take confidence in Him and apply the benefits, the blessings of His ascension to ourselves in faith. Amen. We want to uh, go through uh, an ascension litany now. Uh, it's the, the blue half sheet in your, your bulletins this morning. It's based on Psalm 47. Um, I will read the unbolded sections. If you would read the bold sections, and then together we will confess these words uh, where it says all. Our God goes up with shouts of joy. Sing praises to our God. Sing praises. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. The Almighty rides in triumph. Who shouts for joy? Who blows the trumpet? Sing praises to our God. Sing praises. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. The Lord has brought down death itself. The Lord has trodden the winepress of suffering. He has paid the price to rescue the lost. Sing praises to our God. Sing praises. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Life, now reigns in heaven with the Father. Ascended Lord, how can we honor You enough? Ascended Lord, how can we rightly praise the victory You have won? Prepare us for that welcome day when we shall behold You in all Your majesty.
Sing praises to our God. Sing praises. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King.